Welcome to an all-new episode of Get Lit with Leanna, the podcast. Join me as I sit down with a new guest author in each episode to discuss their books, careers, and everything in between. Today, I'm sitting down with romance author Amanda Elliott, who wrote the new rom-com Best Served Hot. I had the best time chatting with Amanda today about how she transitioned from writing YA and middle grade books to writing adult books. Of course, her love for all different types of cuisine, especially New York restaurants. I got so many good recommendations of places to eat. I'm so excited. We talked about why it's important to have Jewish main characters in romance books. And of course, some of my favorite moments from this book. Without further ado, my conversation with Amanda Elliott starts right now. Welcome, Amanda, to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. Obviously, I've been a fan of your writing for quite some time now, and I really loved your new book, I Served Hot. So I'm really, really, really excited to have you here and to get to chat with you today. Firstly, how are you? What's new? Are you excited that this book is coming out? Like, tell me all the things. Yeah, I'm great. I'm excited to be here, too. So thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah, I'm excited about this book. It's kind of, um, I live in New York City. I love restaurants and food. Um, mm-hmm. And so this book is kind of my love letter to um, New York City and its food scene, basically, like in the same way, my first book, Sadie on a Plate was my love letter to Jewish food. Yeah. Um, so I'm excited for people to get to read this book and, you know, learn about the food that I love so much. I'm so excited. We're obviously going to talk about your love for food and how that's such like a through line of your books. But before we get into this book specifically, I would love to first chat a bit about your writing background and how all this came to you. Cause I know you first were really like working in the YA space and then after transitioned into the adult space. So I'd love to first hear about maybe how you became an author when you started writing, if you've always been writing just some of that background. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, these books are published as Amanda Elliott, um, which is my kind of adult romance pen name. But um, my debut came out in 2015 under Amanda Panich. Um, and I've had several more um, young adult and middle grade books published under that name since then. Um, and yeah, I've pretty much been a writer since I can remember. Um, it just before I can remember, really, because my dad has a collection of like little hand illustrated, handwritten picture books about animals on a farm. That's that he has in his um in his cabinet that I don't remember writing. <laughs> but yeah, I think that I, you know, I've always loved reading and writing and the library. And I just, you know, um when I sold my debut, it was kind of like dreams coming true. And it's still, you know, kind of my dreams coming true to still be here publishing almost 10 years later. Right. So when you decided to like make a go of it and start doing this professionally and trying to get your books published, why did you decide to start with like the YA middle grade, that age kind of books? I think I started with YA because I was pretty close to a young adult in age myself. Um, When I wrote my debut, I was, I want to say 23. I think I was 24 when it published. Or no, it was 26. I was 24 when it sold, 26 when it published, I think. Don't quote me on that. Um, Math is not my, you know, I'm a writer. (laughs) My strongest suit. Um, But I still, you know, felt very close to that teen headspace. Like I, you know, I was in that kind of in-between transition where I had just gotten kind of my first real adult job and had first really moved out Mm -hmm. for the first time. And um, so I think it just naturally came to me back then. Like up to then, the only thing I'd really written was YA. Um, And Mm -hmm. I still love YA. Um, I still write YA. I still read a lot of YA. I still love, you know, YA and all the YA books coming out now, which are, you know, 
if anything, even more diverse and exciting and yes. fun than when, you know, I was first reading and writing in the space. For sure. Um, but yeah, and as I got older, you know, I kind of aged into a more, I mean, hopefully I'm more adult now. Um, I'm 33 now. Um, and so it just, the adult voice kind of comes naturally to me now. Mm-hmm. So what was that transition like kind of leaping from the YA writing to the adult writing? Like at what point were you like, okay, this is something I want to try. This is something different. So Sadie and a Plate was actually the first adult book I'd written. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of came as a surprise. Um, I had been work- working on other middle grade and YA stuff and Sadie just kind of started out as something fun because I always kind of like to have something going on on the side that isn't necessarily like with the publishing world in um, in mind because, you know, as a professional author, I'm not only writing with my own interests and my own tastes in mind. I'm also always thinking like, well, will this sell? Will this like mm-hmm. do well in the market? Like, is this in a dead genre? Like, will my agent like this? Things like that. And so Sadie, I actually started just as kind of a fun project, like it's something to do on the side. Like I just wanted to write about food. I wanted to write about Top Chef, all things mm-hmm. that I love. And it just started out as something fun. And then I started getting into it and I was like, huh, you know, maybe this actually could sell. And then I started thinking about it with more of that in mind. But um, yeah, that's how that started. Crazy. And then was it hard like to transition from a YA publisher to an adult publisher? Like what was that like in terms of getting the book actually published, sold out there? Um, it didn't seem that different for me. Um, I'm sure it was different on my agent side because she was mm-hmm. the one kind of handling all the, the business stuff and the submission list and everything. But really, the process didn't feel all that different um, from this side, um, except that, you know, I couldn't go back to any of my previous editors because they were editing YA. We were in a right. whole new space of people who only did adult books. Right. And then I guess at what point did you realize or did you come to the decision where you were like, I think I have to change my pen name if I'm writing adult books? Like, what was that decision? So it was actually a pretty harmonious decision between myself and my publisher um, because my YA books are very, you know, are are kind of dark thrillers versus my adult books were more like kind of fun, light rom-coms. And um, so my publisher actually reached out to me first, like, would you want to use like a pen name just to separate yourself from these books since they're so different in genre and like a reader who, you know, picks up your YA books will not expect you know, won't be expecting, won't be getting the same thing when they pick up these books. Mm-hmm. And I had actually been thinking about the same thing myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was happy to do it. And right. I like having, you know, kind of a separation between the two identities, although it does get confusing. I always have to really remind myself, like when I'm signing books, like, okay, this book, sign Amanda Elliott, this book, sign Amanda Panich. Right. So crazy. And I guess now that you are doing both, are you doing both at the same time? Do you have YA books still coming out? Or are you kind of all adult now? Um, I hope to continue to do, um, you know, multiple age groups still going into the future. Okay. That's so fun. So now when you're like thinking of a book concept, I guess it kind of, the concept will determine what type of book it is, but do you ever have like a storyline that you feel like, oh, it kind of could go either way. And then you have to make the decision, like what kind of voice you want to use to tell that story, or it's kind of distinct for you. I totally, um, I mean, so far it's been pretty straightforward I think like I haven't Mm -hmm. really wrestled with it too much but there have definitely been times where I'm like I'll be working on a project and it it won't necessarily be working and I'll be like hmm but would this work in YA like if I change Mm -hmm. the characters jobs and like you know maybe kind of change what they were working toward but like this overall concept might still work um and like really thought about that but it hasn't really been a um like a a major issue so okay well it's still fun that you have the possibility and you have the ability to like 
you have so many options. You're able to do both, which is really cool. And I feel like not a lot of authors have that ability. So that's really, really fun and must be like really fulfilling for you creatively to know that like literally you are limitless. You are boundless in what you can write <laughs> and what you can do. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. And I, li- I like knowing that like, you know, there are, because it's, it's almost like taking a break. Like so if, I, if I'm getting sick of writing like an adult book in that voice, I can kind of switch over to a YA book or a middle grade book and, yeah. and you know, have a, it's, it's like a different kind of main mindset to be working on that. A hundred percent. So your adult books are obviously very food centric, which I'm obsessed with. Obviously Sadie is a total love letter to Jewish food and being a Jewish person. I was just obsessed with that and ate it up. No pun intended. And then best served hot obviously still revolves in the food world. You just mentioned before that you're like a big foodie living in New York. I'm obsessed with going to New York. When I go to New York, I just plan my restaurants. Like it's just a food tour while I'm there. What like inspired you, I guess, to write these books aside from your love of food? Like when you decided you were going to write adult books where you're like a hundred percent, these need to be all about food. Like what was that connection? I just think it's hard for me to write a book at this point that doesn't include food. Um, Because I think even if you're reading like my middle grade books, like they're not explicitly about food, but there are still like scenes kind of throughout like where the main character and her mother are are cooking together. And that's like kind of like a bonding scene for them or like, Mm -hmm. you know, they're throwing another, they'll be throwing food at each other. And that's like a way to kind of show, um, you know, conflict. So I think there's just always food in everything that I write because I think about food nonstop. Yeah. Um, So yeah, it came pretty naturally to write these books and have them focus so heavily on food because like food is just a really strong interest of mine. Like I read cookbooks for fun. Um, I collected them actually during the pandemic. Um, no and it actually got really bad because I live, you know, I live in a small New York city apartment. Yeah. They were taking over the apartment. And so finally I was like, <laughs> okay, like I need to like, you know, I want to keep reading these cookbooks, but I'm going to get them from the library before like, you know, and then read through them and try some recipes. And if I really like them, then like I'll buy anyway. it. So that's kept, that's kept it mostly in check. That's so fun. So are you a huge bake cook? Like, are you always in the kitchen, like in your real life when you're not writing? Is that something you love to do? I do. It's it's my favorite kind of like, you know, my my non-writing, non-reading yeah. hobby. Like I love, you know, trying new restaurants. And of course, the fun of being in New York is that, you know, there's always new cuisines and new restaurants yeah. to try. And I love cooking. Um, I was one of those people over the pandemic who got into like bread baking. I love um, it. So <laughs> I made my first like babkas and halas. So it was a mm. lot of fun. Um, the yeah. holidays, babka's like it took a little while to get right. Like for a yeah. while they were turning out kind of like underbaked in the middle and too crispy <laughs> on the outside. I think because of like the twisting. Like I don't know if I was doing it right, but the holidays. But eventually I got it right. Yeah. Um, and the holidays just like were gorgeous from the start. I used Smitten yeah. Kitchen's like perfect holla recipe, okay. and like they're just like they're just gorgeous and they smell <sighs> amazing and Best. they taste amazing. So. Yeah, big fan. Oh my God, same. Peak pandemic, I was also in the exact same boat. My cousin made sourdough starter and brought me some of her. So then I was on a sourdough kick. But to me too, like every Shabbat, I was making challah. And there was one point in the pandemic where yeast was impossible to find because everyone was making <laughs> bread. And I just remember being like, I can't make a challah without yeast and like trying to order yeast on Amazon and all this stuff. And it's just a challah, like nothing that's unrivaled. It's the best food ever. But in New Absolutely. York, like, what are what are your like go-to low-key p- places? Because I'm going to New York in a month and I need more. I have to start making reservations now. You know, New York books up <laughs> real quick, 30 days in advance. <laughs> oh my God. So I have so many, like, I think my favorite neighborhood probably for food is Jackson Heights um, okay. and Elmhurst and Queens. And so one of my favorite things to do, like actually my birthday plans this year, me and my friends are like taking our husbands and we're just going to spend the day out there hopping from restaurant to restaurant to restaurant. So fun. And so there are like, it's like hard to find a bad choice out there. Okay. Like, but some of my favorites, I love um, Hug Isan. Okay. Um, H-U-G-E-S-A-N, which I believe is like mostly Northern Thai food. 
And so there's a ton of like, you know, everything I've tried there has been good, but my absolute favorite thing is they have this um, fried tilapia salad, which Ooh. again, like not usually a huge fish person, not usually yeah. a huge tilapia person, but it is like hands down one of the best things I've ever eaten. Wow. Um, they take a, a whole tilapia and they chop it up and they fry like all the pieces and like kind of a very crispy, like light rice batter. And then they pour over I'm not, I don't know what exactly is in the dressing, but it's definitely like lime juice and fish sauce Ooh, and like okay. sugar. And it's like, it's amazing. It's like, you know, wakes <laughs> up your whole mouth. And like somehow, like if there's some kind of magic where they pour it all over and like drench all the pieces of fish, but somehow the fish stays like crispy, but it still soaks oh. up all the dressing. And then they just scatter over like red onion and all these fresh herbs and stuff um, on top of that. And it's just like one of the best things I've ever eaten. Oh my God. Um, I love the arepa lady. Like I know okay. that's it, that it's pretty basic, but like her arepas I think are amazing um there's like I forget what it's called but it's a momo spot it's part of the okay. momo crawl okay and they have like amazing you know momo which are momos are to like the Nepalese dumplings and they're you know doughy and delicious and Ugh. um and yeah really like it's hard to to, to you find can't go wrong there. Yeah, yeah you can't go wrong New York is just like the best food city ever and every time I go I'm like I need to try everything new, but then I find something that I love and I only go like three, four times a year. So it's like, how do I not go back to the places that I'm obsessed with when there's still so much to try? You know, like it's such a, exactly. It's such Even a living there. Like I wrestle with that too, because I'm like, you know, well, I could try this new place. It's getting all this buzz, but like, also like, you know, I could go back to this place that I know I already exactly. love and it's so hard. And then sometimes the best thing is when you like, cause of course, like I'm always reading like the food blogs and the, you know, all the mm -hmm. stuff like that. But, um, the best is when you just kind of stumble in somewhere and it's amazing. Like, like a hole in the wall random and you're just like yeah. hidden gem. Yeah. No, there's this one place where my friend and I were going um, in the theater district because we were seeing a, a Broadway show mm -hmm. and um, we were going to go to this one place, but then we were walking by another place and we saw like, you know, the menu and it had like all these pictures of noodles on it. And we were like, Oh my goodness, let's go have these noodles. And it was, um, I think it was Uyghur cuisine, which I had never really had before, like from okay. what, you know, Northwestern China. And it was amazing. It was so good. Um, I don't remember the name off the top of my head, but I can look it up after and send Please it to you tell for me. like the show notes or something. But Ugh. it was so, it was just like amazing. And it was Ugh. so we had these giant bowls of like noodles with vegetables, and it was like nothing I'd ever wow. really had before. And it was just like, you know, I felt like it really made like a find. Oh my god, my boyfriend lived in New York for a year last year because he was producing a Broadway show. So when I would go down to visit him, I'd be like screaming that we need to go all these places. And I just said to him like all the time, like, I don't know how you're here and you're not eating at restaurants I know. last times a day. Like I would have living in New York, if I was in New York or full-time living in the city, like I think I would have just consistent FOMO of all of the restaurants I could be eating at. But then like, obviously you can't eat at restaurants every single day, every single meal, but how do you not? Like, oh God, I'm jealous that you live there and you can just like, <laughs> take the subway up and go wherever you want to go. That's the dream. But now that we're talking about food, I feel like this is like the perfect transition to talk about best served hot. So before we talk about some of my favorite moments and things about it, I would love to like have a little synopsis, if you can, of what this book's about. Absolutely. So like I said before, Best Served Hot is my love letter to New York City food scene. Um, it's about two restaurant critics, Julie and Bennett. Um, they have very different tastes and methods of reviewing food, although they're both kind of professional reviewers in their own way. Um, and they're forced to work together after a video of them fighting at a food festival goes viral. Um, and so the book follows their development of their relationship. Um, there's some spice, there's some class warfare and lots of food descriptions. Um, and yes. all of the restaurants in the book are based off real restaurants, which I talk about in the acknowledgement. So if you're I reading saw. the book and you're like, this meal sounds delicious, 
you can go to the acknowledgements and it talks about like um, where that meal was based on. So, so, so much fun. I love that this book kind of is a commentary, I guess, on the power of social media versus like traditional publishing. And I love that you really like get into those differences in this book. Why was that one of the main themes you wanted to tackle within this story, aside from the whole food aspect? So it was actually that that kind of sparked the book to begin with, because Mm. I'd been following, you know, I'm I'm like to consider myself like very in tune with the food scene, like I'm Mm -hmm. following like all the, you know, the reviews, and that's includes like the professional reviewers, like, you know, New York Times and the Washington Post and Eater and like, you know, Grub Street and all these places, but also like, you know, the the non-professional people who are doing it, just like the people who are talking about food on like Instagram or have Mm -hmm. like their blogs or like, you know, are doing this stuff kind of on the on the street. And it's really interesting to see the differences between the two. Um, and to see like, you know, what kind of places they're covering, like who's doing the reviewing, because you know, the people who are doing it professionally are still like mostly male, like largely white. largely like older and they're focusing on you know food aimed towards a specific kind of like upper middle class like audience who is reading their you know the new york times and the washington post and all of these other places versus like you know the the people on tiktok and instagram and other places are you know it's a lot of women it's more people Mm -hmm. of color it's people focusing on on places that might not necessarily like you know merit the the um you know, the attention of a reviewer from the New York Times. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really fun. I thought it was really fun looking at the tension between the two of them, especially knowing that kind of like the traditional newspaper world is kind of, um, you know, losing subscribers while people are yep. getting their news and other things from social media now. And so I thought it was interesting to look at that. And of course, I, you know, enemies to lovers is my favorite trope. I had to make them That's start true. out as enemies. Um, and so, yeah, that's where the book came from. So I really so love looking at those differences. Did you do a lot of research to like build these characters, like create Julie as an influencer? Like, did you have to do a lot of background research or was it kind of like, I think I can get these people down. Like I read enough food reviews. I follow enough food bloggers. Like what was that process like? Well, some of both, like, cause I follow, you know, I've, I've been fascinated for years, like reading kind of about the behind the scenes, like of, of New York times reviewers and like, how they wear disguises and like, you know, use yeah. fake names and like go with different people and like, you know, all to keep people from recognizing them. So of course, like I refreshed myself and everything, mm-hmm. but um, I felt like I knew a lot about that. And I've watched a lot of like, you know, um, Instagram reviewers and stuff. But of yeah. course, like, I think a lot of like the numbers things, like I had to look up and be like, well, how much money would she be earning if she had this many followers? Because yeah. I wanted to make sure she was earning like some money and had like, you know, a good amount of followers, but she couldn't be like, you know, a huge influencer, you know, because otherwise, you know, there wouldn't be this tension where she wanted to quit her job and she couldn't. Mm-hmm. So it took, that was probably the part um, of it that took the most research. Okay. That makes sense. I love obviously in both of your books, all of the nods to Judaism and especially in a world where anti-Semitism is unfortunately on the rise, which is so insane to think about, but I really yeah. love getting to like read about Jewish people and their just regular lives and not really having Judaism be like such a focus of their life, but kind of just like a part of them. And I love obviously the relationship all of your main characters have with Jewish food. So what was that like once again, getting to incorporate that into your story, having a Jewish main character and having touchstones of Jewishness and Jewish cuisine throughout? Yeah. So I felt in in the first book and Sadie on a plate, like her Jewishness was kind of a major part of the plot. Like she's not super observant, but like, it's really like, like I said, it's like a love story. It's a love story to like, you know, mm-hmm. my Jewishness and my love for Jewish food and things like that. Versus in Besser Tot, like 
really it's not a major part of the story. Like it is mentioned that she's Jewish, I think at a, at a couple points, but mm-hmm. it's not really, it doesn't form like a part of the narrative um, or her character. I think the way that, um, the way that it did in Sadie on the plate, but it was mm-hmm. important for me to make her Jewish because, you know, I grew up reading Jewish books, like that were all about the Holocaust that were all about mm-hmm. like Jews being sad and like bad things happening to Jews. And I'm just like, it means a lot to me, like, even if it's not a major part of the story or the plot, like it means a lot to me to just like have a Jewish character being happy and like living her mm-hmm. life. And so it was important to me to do that. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's what a lot of all different types of readers, but I know Jewish readers like myself who are very hungry to see characters that reflect us and just being regular people who are also Jewish. Um, I know that there's a lot of value in that. And we're really, thank God, starting to see a real boom and rise of those types of stories. And there's just been more and more every year. So kudos to you for doing it, being one of the ones who are doing it. And obviously we need to keep seeing more of it. But as a Jewish reader, seeing somebody that reflects you in some way on the page is really, really important. And I think Julie did just that in this book. So I just wanted to make mention of that because it's something really special and we're seeing more of, but not enough, you know? Yeah, thank you. And I totally agree. Like, I got to shout out like Jean Meltzer and Meredith mm-hmm. Shore and Hannah Orenstein and all these authors. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sure I'm forgetting someone who I'm going to be like really kicking myself later. But <laughs> you know, all these authors who are just writing happy books about Jews falling in love and being happy. Yeah. I love seeing it. It's my favorite thing ever, ever, ever to write. But speaking about Jews falling in, falling in love, obviously, we need to touch on the romance aspect of this book. Because as you know, I know that we like our Instagram friends, you know that I'm obsessed with romance books. And that's what obviously drew me to this book. When writing the romance and playing with the tropes, like what was the most fun part about their relationship or playing with the tropes when you were like outlining the story? Um, I had a lot of fun because, you know, I love enemies to lovers mm-hmm. and I love kind of making that relationship start off like, you know, yelling at each other and then they end up, you know, kissing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I had a lot of fun with all of it, but I think my favorite part of an enemies to lovers story is, you know, that first inkling that like, oh, maybe they're not terrible. And so for Mm -hmm. that, in this book, it was their, so they have a few meetings where, you know, they're yelling at each other at the food festival. And that's a video that goes viral. Mm -hmm. Like they have another like disastrous encounter that ends up with them both being kicked out of a restaurant. And then they both end up having to go back to the restaurant to review the food. And, you know, they, their aim was to eat separately, but they of course end up like at the same table. Mm -hmm. And um, they're still like antagonistic. But there's that kind of that first like conversation where you get a little glimpse into his soul and, you know, who he is. And Julie, you know, she still is not single point of view. So we're not um, Mm -hmm. given an insight into his his head. But like Julie kind of first gets that first um, thought that like, oh, maybe he's not the absolute worst. Oh, no, he is. He's definitely still the absolute worst. Um, And so that that's my I think is my favorite part of um, of the whole journey. It's it's so much fun. And that like push and pull tension is so, so good. And it's written so well on the page. Obviously, we need to talk about the steam in this book because it does get a little spicy. What's that like <laughs> for you to write? Is it like an awkward thing, a fun thing? Like, tell me about writing steam. I always love asking authors this. Uh-huh. It's not both, actually. So, you know, Sadie on the Plate was closed door. So this is my mm-hmm. first on page, like, you know, explicit sex scene. Mm-hmm. And it was both fun to write. Um, but it's also like reading it over again is very awkward because I just can't get out of my head like you know my mom's gonna read this right gonna read this like people I know in real life are gonna read this so like I love the thought of like people I don't know in real life reading it but like as far as like you know anyone who knows me in real life reading it I would like them to get like a copy with specific printing error that just like takes out that whole scene Mm -hmm. um so yeah so definitely a little bit of both 
Okay. That's fun. So now that this book is out there, what are you hoping people take away from it? Like, what are you hoping that audiences really, really gravitate to in the story or something that they like think about that maybe you didn't think they would think before? Um, honestly, I just hope they come away like happier than they Mm -hmm. were when they started. Um, I think that's, that's what I go into writing like a rom-com is like, I want people to smile. And like, hopefully my favorite thing is when people tell me like, you know, I was having a bad day, but then I read part of your book and it made me like, made my like it put me in a good mood and I'm yeah. like that makes me happy so yeah, yeah like nothing super profound like I mean it would be great if they came away like learning stuff about like you know a cuisine that they didn't really know much about or for like sure. just an appreciation for like restaurant workers or something but like really if they just finished it happier than when they started like that's I love a win. that I love that so now can I ask like what are you working on next are you I'm sure you're doing a million things and I know you have so much going on in your personal life too but like is there a book coming out again another anything else yeah, so I'm always writing and always working on something new. Um, so nothing I can talk about publicly yet, okay. but stay tuned. Um, okay. I have, if anyone wants to be like the first people to hear about it, I have a newsletter on my website, um, amandapanich.com. Um, I promise I'm not annoying with the newsletter. Um, I probably don't send it out as much as I should, but um, that's where I'll be you know, sharing news of the next book. Amazing. First. And obviously, I feel like it's safe to assume that it will be food related. I don't think I can write anything that's not food related. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. I love it. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Amanda, for taking the time. This was so much fun. I really love this book. I know everyone who reads it will t- enjoy it just as much as I did. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I was really glad to get to talk to you. Of course.